Thank you for joining the live broadcast of East Bay Bible Fellowship in Alameda, California. We pray that you'll be blessed by the worship and the preaching of God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about our service times and location, feel free to call us at 510-697-8220 or go to our website at ebbfellowship.com. That's ebbfellowship.com. Thank you and God bless. Um, first book of Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm going to read a lot of verses here. Uh, tonight I'm teaching on what's known as proxy baptism. Uh, proxy baptism. Last week we taught on infant baptism. Uh, and if you're interested in listening to that, uh, you can go to our website, our SoundCloud. You can access it through Facebook, uh, Twitter, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But uh, you'll find it there. Our midweeks we really go right into the Word, and, and we we actually look at several doctrines. And uh, not only that we believe, but we even look at doctrines we don't believe. Um, And very quickly, uh, as I get into this, I think you'll understand why I'm teaching on proxy baptism. Everyone say proxy baptism. Okay, so here we go. First Corinthians 15 verses one through twenty nine. It says, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand. By which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Uh, And this is a really great verse, uh, chapter and verse here coming up. If you want to know exactly what the gospel is, it tells you right here. It says, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. According to the scriptures, everyone say according to the scriptures and that he was seen of Cephas or Peter, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen above 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remain unto this present day. But some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that I am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether I or they, so we preach and you uh, and so you believed. Now, here are some very critical verses for us. I want you to, 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 to look at this. It says, Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some, everyone say some, some. Uh, say among you. among you. How say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? And this is a critical verse because here Paul is letting us know that there are groups of people within uh uh, with uh, that are that are mingling among the church who are saying that they do not believe in the resurrection from the dead. Now watch this. It says, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And now here are the consequences of if this were all false. He says, and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain and your faith is also in vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, 
whom he raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if, the, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. You are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. And if this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now if Christ is risen from the dead and become the first uh, fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order. Christ the first fruits, afterwards they that are Christ's at his coming, then cometh the end. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the father, when he shall have put down all rule and authority and power for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet, that the last enemy shall be destroyed his death for he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, uh, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the son also himself be subject to him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. This is where we're going to be preaching and teaching from tonight. Verse 29. Else, what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why are they then, why are they then baptized for the dead? Proxy baptism Proxy baptism is the act of being baptized for the dead. And there are, there are groups that baptize for the dead. And I'm going to explain that to you in just a few seconds. But this is their go-to verse right here. Um, if you were to talk to them, uh, they would tell you, look here. Um, in the days of the Apostle Paul... There were people in the church that baptized on the behalf of the dead, that did proxy baptisms. All right. This would be their go to verse. Now, be comforted, friends. This is their only verse. Okay. Um, So let's get started. From everything I can see, uh, at least from my studies today, and I'm pretty sure they're accurate, there's actually only two groups that I know of that practice proxy baptism. One is some small fringe break-off Catholic group in the Netherlands. You will probably never meet them. Um, The other is the more well-known LDS Church or the Latter-day Saints or what we also know as Mormons. And these people you will meet. These people will come to your door. These people will walk up to you at Walmart, In-N-Out Burger, Target, blah, 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 blah. You will run into these people. And... uh, The Mormons practice what's known as proxy baptism. Uh, Proxy proxy baptism is really nothing more than a nice, uh, pretty name for baptizing for the dead. Proxy means in place of, right? So they're being baptized in place of the dead. In the past, however, and even during times uh, as far back as the times of the apostles, uh, this was actually practiced, this proxy baptism. And in particular, by Gnostic groups such as uh, the Corinthians and the Mar- uh, a group known as the Marcionites. Um, both of these groups were Gnostic groups. And you, through, as time goes, you'll hear, me, you'll hear me bring up the word Gnostic a lot. 
And what Gnostics are, the word Gnostic in Greek means to have knowledge. And what Gnostic uh, refers to are a variety of religious groups that existed during the days of the apostles uh, who had ideas and systems of, of belief that originated in Jewish circles in the first and second century, uh, which is right around the book of Acts and beyond. Uh, and they based uh, most of their teachings on the Old Testament and other biblical writings. These systems or these beliefs said that the material world is created by some emanation of, of God um, and that this material world kind of uh, cloaked or covered uh, the divine spark that's within all of us or within everything. Gnostics would even believe certain things like that, that God is in everything. And um, uh, this divine spark, this, this God in us, this God in you, this God in everything, um, this, this could all be seen if you would just get a little bit gnosis or Gnosticism, knowledge. And so these groups were already trying to infiltrate the church. They were already trying to make their way into the early church. And so you will read verses in the Bible that uh, may seem a little odd sometimes. And what the apostles are actually doing is teaching against some of these ideas. Um, In the practice of the LDS church or the Mormons, um, a living person can act as a proxy and be baptized by immersion. They do immerse. Uh, Last week we talked about sprinkling. This week we're talking about rather bizarre forms of baptism. But they actually do immerse and they can be immersed on behalf of a deceased person. Uh, This wasn't always the rule for the LDS church, but this is the rule now. It has to be for somebody of the same gender. So they cannot, a woman cannot be baptized for a man, etc. or vice versa. So you can, if you are part of the LDS church, you can be baptized for anybody who is deceased as long as you are of the same gender. Um, They will recite a very short prayer, which includes the name of the deceased individual. Uh, The proxy is then immersed briefly in water, then brought up again. Baptism for the dead is an ordinance of the church and is based on the belief that baptism is required to enter into the kingdom of God. So the LDS church believes that you cannot get into heaven unless you're baptized. And they will actually take you to John 3 and 5. They, they love that verse, that a man will not enter into the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again of water. Well, they go one step further and they will tell you that you can still make it in after you die. Uh, the LDS church teaches that performing baptisms for the dead allows the salvation of those who have died without accepting or knowing Jesus Christ during his or her mortal life. It is then taught that this is the method by which all who have lived upon the earth have the opportunity to receive a baptism and thereby enter into the kingdom of God. The LDS church teaches that those in the afterlife who have been baptized by proxy are free to accept or reject the ordinances done on their behalf. Baptism on behalf of a deceased individual is not binding. If this person who uh, an LDS member gets baptized for decides in the afterlife that they still don't want anything to do with being a Mormon, uh, that individual can reject the the proxy baptism. So I don't know if everyone's following me here, but basically what they believe is that... um, well, let me, read, let me read this to you because this actually actually got me kind of upset. I'm not sure why, but this actually kind of got me mad because 
it just upset me. This might not upset you. I just feel a little violated by this. Uh, they said, uh, you might be surprised to learn that the Mormon church has teams of men and women microfilming records of Catholic and Protestant parishes and cemetery records, birth and death certificates. In fact, they have one of the largest genealogy banks in the known world uh, in, in St. and, and uh, over there where they all Salt Lake. Yeah, Salt Lake. Uh, virtually any sort of record pertaining to past generations they own or they have access to or they they microfilm. Uh, Temple Mormons hope in time to have all the dead of previous generations baptized post Posthumously into the Mormon Church. So, um, you might be shocked to find out that they've been baptized. They've done a proxy baptism uh, uh, for your dead relatives, for your deceased relatives. In fact, um, just a while ago, there was a huge scandal because they got baptized for Anne Frank, for all these Holocaust people that had been deceased, very famous and notable ones. And the Jewish people were in absolute uproar. I mean, it was for them, it was very, very sacred stuff. Um, and so you had Mormons walking around getting baptized on behalf of Anne Frank. The, the bizarre thing is what, what the Mormons are believing. So you might be saying, like, what does this matter to us? Well, this matters. Uh, these people are going to show up to your door. And these, these people, you will come across this you will be exposed to this they will one day you know try to uh man if man if they're getting baptized if they're going to find out your deceased grandmother's name this is a problem for me already i'm already upset but um what what they believe is that the deceased the deceased um are, are like trapped and that if i get baptized for them that deceased person now has an opportunity to accept or reject the gospel, their gospel, whatever that is. I wouldn't really call it good news, but their belief and then enter into heaven. Well, you, well, you could already see the mess this is, right? Like who's going to reject? Like, so like, what if you're like, you have a good, nice view of hell, like who's going to reject it, right? So, but anyways, but that's just theoretical arguments. I'm just saying this is a lot of silliness. Um, but the, 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 the bigger story here is we could see that stuff like proxy baptism for the dead, a, it's not new and B, the thing I really want to make clear to you tonight is how long a lie can last and lies, lies, heresies, false doctrines. You know, if, if we're not careful, we can get really duped, you know, and, and people will sometimes even go to history and say, hey, look, this has been practiced for a long time. And then they'll take one verse out of the Bible, put a little twist on it and say, where have you been? And if we're not careful, we can. I, by the time we're done and I'm going to hear me quote this a million times. By the time we're done with these classes, Ephesians four and four, uh, then four and five tells us there is one Lord. One faith, one baptism. We are studying what that one baptism is. It is not an infant baptism and it is not a proxy baptism. Amen. And uh, next week we're going to also talk about it's not a baptism in titles. It's a baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? amen? All right, but let's get into this. 
Um, I, I do want to show you how you should uh, talk about this subject. Let's not just, I don't want to just write it off as foolishness, though I do think it's that, and then say that's it. Let's, let's know what we believe. Let's, let's find out why we reject this. Hebrews 9, 27. Hebrews 9, 27. And then if someone can get uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 10. Hebrews 9, 27. And then 2 Corinthians 5, 10. And I'm going to go back to the verse that they use at the very end of this. Because when I take you back to it, it's actually to, to defeat this argument and, and, and expose its error is actually very simple. It's, it, I didn't see it at first and then I had to go back and look at it three times. And I, I just I almost smacked myself in the head because I didn't see it. So uh, Hebrews 9.27, who has it? Brother Rocha. And it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. All right. So here in Hebrews 9.27, the Bible is very clear. It is appointed for men to die once. And after that comes what? Judgment. So you don't get judged in the afterlife. Now, that's something that pertains to more religions now, because not just Mormons believe this. We also have Roman Catholics that believe this. They believe in a purgatory, all these things. We don't believe in that because the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says you get one shot at life and that's it. All right. Um, furthermore, uh, everyone is rewarded for the deeds that are done in their bodies. Uh, no one can do good or bad for us. So when I'm died, somebody, if I die a, a, a saint or a sinner, there's nobody here in this life that can do something on my behalf. That'll be, that'll be accredited to me in my afterlife. You get what I'm saying? Jesus already did that. Yeah. G- and, and this is really the obnoxiousness of, the, of this doctrine is who is anybody to act as a proxy for me? Jesus is the proxy. He is the, the Bible tells us there is one proxy. There is one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus, not the teenager on his 10 speed. Hallelujah. All right. So uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10. Who has that? 2 Corinthians 5.10. And I'm not trying. I, I know I'm already cracking jokes and it's probably not the best method of teaching. But uh, we... Man, we, we, we do have to embrace truth. Uh, and forgive me if I sound a little uh, facetious myself. All right. Second, I want to be respectful. Second Corinthians 5.10. Sister Weiss, you have that? Okay, let's go. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he has done, whether it is whether it be good or bad. All right. So you see there, very clearly... The scripture teaches again that you will answer for the things you've done in your body, good or bad. So nobody can do good for you. And nobody, thank God, nobody can do bad for us. That'd even be horrible. But here the Apostle Paul goes that one extra step and lets you know, number one, uh, and this goes back to our class last week on infant baptism. uh, And we're not going to really get into that, but um, it touches on that subject. Nobody can do good for you. And nobody can do bad for you. All right. That is you will be judged for what you have done. All right. And your kids will be judged for what they have done. That is that that is out of your control. Luke 16, 19 through 31. 
And then we're almost done. Luke 16, 19 through 31. For the rotary, you have it. All right. This is a, this is a kind of long. Uh, we have several verses here, but go ahead. Uh, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels unto Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. And then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. All right. So I'm going to this parable, and I'm going to actually bring up some stuff that you may or may not be familiar with. Um, this is actually a very significant parable, in my opinion. Um, and it's, it's very interesting. And some of you might already be picking up, and you could already see uh, some similarities here um, uh, and some parallels to what we're talking about. But first, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about this parable just for a few seconds. This parable has been the focus of much controversy. There's a lot of controversy regarding this parable. Some take this story of the rich man and Lazarus to be true. Uh, I kind of take it to be true. Uh, some people uh, make it, they, they say it's a historical account of events that actually occurred. Others consider it just a parable or allegory. I believe the argument for this actually being uh, a, a true account are pretty strong. I want you to, to consider this. The reasons why uh, some people interpret this narrative as being true is uh, because, first, the story is never called a parable. Uh, whereas many of the times when Jesus goes into parabolic teachings, it'll say, and he opened his mouth and he taught them a parable. And that phrase does not come up in this particular situation. Many other of Jesus' stories are called from the onset parables, such as the sower and the seed in Luke 8 and 4, the prosperous farmer, Luke 12 and 16, the barren fig tree, Luke 13 and 6, and the wedding feast, Luke 14 and 7. But uh, sec secondly, uh, the story of the rich man and Lazarus uses an actual name of a person. Such specificity would set it apart from every other parable in the Bible uh, in which the characters are never named. There's not another parable in the entire Bible that uses an actual name. Thirdly, which I think is the strongest argument, that this particular story does not seem to fit the definition of a parable. 
It, it, is anim, anim, it, it does not have the anatomy of a parable, um, which is a presentation of spiritual truths using earthly illustrations. This, par- this story uh, of the rich man and Lazarus presents a spiritual dynamic directly with no earthly metaphor or parallel. So he, it's, it's never like the kingdom of heaven is like a fisherman's net. That, that doesn't happen here. We go straight to the spiritual situation and it's left at that. We're never made to believe that there's a parallel to it. The setting for most of the story is the afterlife as opposed to almost every other parable, which unfold in what we might call the earthly life. So most parables that you read in the Bible, Jesus will talk about something that happens every day on planet Earth. Right. But this parable doesn't do that. It, it actually begins in the afterlife. All right. But um, but let's put the argument on the shelf now and see what how this helps us with our proxy baptism. Um, it is very clear. Uh, it's very it, it, it is very clearly seen that the afterlife is sealed. Uh, no. And, and that no one absolutely no one can change what happens there. All right. Once we die, we die. Once we go there, we stay there. Not even those in the afterlife can change what happens in the afterlife. Not even Abraham. I mean, if there's anybody in the Bible who is like role model intercessor on the behalf of the souls of men, it's Abraham. And Jesus starts teaching. He's like, here's this dead guy. And now this this dead guy. There's, there's these three dead men. It's, it's Abraham, it's Lazarus, and the rich man. And the rich man is at this point now asking Abraham to act as a proxy. That's what he's actually asking Abraham to do. Change, my, change the state of my affairs down here in the afterlife. And Abraham says no. What does he tell him? There's a great gulf fix between us. This is settled. And he says, well, then go talk to my brothers. He's like, no, that's settled too. He said, that's a whole other life over there. He says they have Moses and the prophets. All this is it's settled. It is forever settled now. All right. So we're not going to uh, we're not going to even go there. But what's really the most interesting thing about this parable and, and from a historical perspective. So if you want to say this is a parable or a true story, here's the bigger picture. Here's the bigger picture about this is that after Jesus tells this parable, nobody argues with him that the afterlife can't be changed. So apparently his listeners, his hearers understood this is a perfectly legitimate parable or true story because we all know that once you die, you die. And nobody argued with him that point. All right. So now let's wrap this Bible study up because this is how quickly we're going to end the debate as to what verse 29 of 1 Corinthians 29 says. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 29. And, bef- and as I dissect it to you, let's read it one, one, one more time. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that... Oh, I'm sorry. Um, verse 29. Else what shall we... What shall they... Everyone say they. What shall they do which are baptized for the dead if the dead rise not at all? Why are they, everyone say they, They. then baptized for the dead? All right. So that that word they is a big they. Because Paul says very clearly, if the dead are not raised, then why are they baptized for the dead? 
Paul did not say we. Paul did not say we. He said they. So who are who are the they? The same they. <laughs> the, the, those they's. <laughs> those they's are the same they's. Baby, are the, are the same they's that that Paul is referring to that don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. So if you if you go back, you'll notice the Apostle Paul says, um, he says, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? So obviously, Paul was already having these people infiltrate into the church. And what were they saying? There's no resurrection of the dead. So Paul very plainly argues, and you'll see in all the verses we read in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 29, Paul is saying, wait a minute. If Christ is not risen from the dead, then your whole faith is in vain. Yeah. Right. And, and Paul, Romans chapter six, uh, we read it last week, 2 Colossians 10, 11 through 12. Paul's, Paul very clearly makes the parallel between baptism and burial and death and resurrection. Right? So he's saying, well, some of you got, he, he now goes into this day. He says, what if, if they don't even believe in the resurrection, then why are they baptizing for the dead? <laughs> it, it makes no sense. Uh, uh, of course, we understand that the efficacy of baptism is contingent on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So is he not risen? Uh, so if, if Jesus is not risen from the dead, then baptism is powerless. Right. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, baptism means nothing. Right. Yeah. Right. So does, if baptism is powerless. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead and baptism is powerless, it does you no good to be baptized yourself or for your dead grandmother. So that's the end of the debate right there. He was not he was not saying that as some scholars, I'm actually appalled at the way some scholars concede and say, well, it's actually possible that maybe some early Christians did baptize for the dead. Absolutely not. There's no evidence of that. Historic, the parables of Jesus that we read, they don't support that notion. The apostles were the biggest advocates of, man, you're dead, you're dead. We will see you in glory or, or in the lake. Um, they didn't support this notion. Um, I mean... We don't read about it anywhere from uh, Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 28. There's no, that covers over 30 years of the apostles' ministry. And, and nowhere do you see Paul say, and we stopped at thus and thus island and decided to be baptized for all, the, for all our deceased uh, colleagues. They, they never did that. They, not one shred of evidence for it. Not historically, not culturally. In fact, quite the opposite. Paul says, hey, listen, all you guys, all you Gnostics out there, all you weirdos believing all these strange things about baptizing for the dead. He said, you guys don't even believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what good does it do you to even be baptized for the dead? Case closed. We don't do proxy baptisms. Hallelujah. We baptize uh, Children, but we don't baptize infants. 
We don't baptize for the dead. Hallelujah. And uh, we baptize full-grown adults with lots of problems. Hallelujah. And, uh, and we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Let's pray. Amen. Jesus, we thank you.